Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. And also, on Twitter, we can chat it up on Twitter and have a good old time talking on Twitter. Also, you can check us out on our chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where we can chat it up there as well. A lot of different ways to get to me, a lot of different ways to talk sports and have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by, by Tennessee Titans safety, Bernard Pollard, Tennessee Titans coming off a big-time victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. Riding high now as they go off to Houston to play the Houston Texans, which is going to be a tough football game, but it could be a statement game for the Tennessee Titans, so we're going to talk to Bernard Pollard about that. Also, going to be joined by Chicago Bears long snapper Patrick Manley, and the Chicago Bears also an impressive performance against the Cincinnati Bengals beating the Bengals 24-21. to And a lot of people, including myself, have the Cincinnati Bengals going very far. I have the Bengals actually going as far as the Super Bowl. So a lot of people are very high on the Cincinnati Bengals. So that was a big-time victory by the Chicago Bears. And we're going to talk to Patrick Manley about that. 16 seasons in the National Football League for Patrick, all as a long snapper. 16 seasons, so definitely some longevity when you talk about Patrick Manley, and also we got a big fight in Las Vegas, MGM Grand, Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez, big-time fight, big-time fight. I mean, you you know it's a big-time fight. First of all, did you see the weigh-in yesterday? 12,000-plus at a weigh-in. At a at a situation at a at a situation where guys are just going up, taking off their shirts, and they're just weighing in, a simple weighing, twelve thousand plus. And I'm hearing they turned people away, so it could have been more, twelve thousand plus at a weighing. Who says boxing's dead? Twelve thousand plus at a weighing. Take your shirt off. Take your pants off. Step on the scale. So there was even a ring walk. So you had the ring walk at a weigh-in. I mean, it was unprecedented. It was just amazing to see, truly, truly amazing to see Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez, the weigh-in, and it's going to be a beauty. So we're going to talk to BoxingScene.com's Cliff Rold all about it, get his take well, who's going to win this fight? A lot of people say this is going to be Floyd's toughest fight in a very long time. Can Alvarez 
finally give give Floyd Mayweather his first loss, and can Mayweather give Alvarez his first loss? Someone's O has to go tonight, and someone's O will go tonight unless it's a draw, and then that's a whole other story. But it's going to be a great fight, great, great fight. It's going to be a lot of people watching, buying it on pay-per-view, going to movie theaters. So it's going to be a much-talked-about fight. And this is a great day to be a fan of sports. Great weekend, actually. But let's start with today. Alabama and Texas A&M at College Station, a rematch of last season's game where Johnny Manziel became Johnny Heisman. I mean, that is going to be a big game. And then the nightcapper tonight, Mayweather, Alvarez. I mean, if you love sports, you can't go wrong with today, even tomorrow. The Manning Bowl. Peyton, Eli, Giants, Broncos. And then you cap it off with the Seahawks and 49ers. You can't ask for a better weekend in sports. You can't ask for it. If you're if you're betting, you can't ask for a better weekend in sports. You just can't. This is a great weekend to be a fan of sports. Great day to be a fan of sports. I mean, this is the type of day where you sit on your couch, put your feet up, grab a cold one, soda, beer, whatever you do, with a remote in hand and food nearby on that couch. It's a little little chilly in the East Coast here, so you might want to have a little blanket as well, and you don't move only to go to the bathroom or to get some need. That's it. This is though that type of day. It starts early and it ends well. Starts early, ends late, but it's going to be a beautiful day to be a fan of sports. And speaking of the beautiful day, the start, one of the starts of this beautiful day will be in College Station. Texas A&M, Alabama, number one Alabama, number six Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel, A.J. McCarron, Saban, Nick Saban, and the two-time champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. This, my friend, has been a, a moment in a game that people have been looking forward to since last year. I mean, this has been a highly anticipated game. This was the game last season where essentially Johnny Manziel went to Johnny Heisman. That game propelled Johnny Manziel into Johnny Heisman. Who knows? If he doesn't get that victory, maybe he doesn't get the Heisman. That was a big-time performance by Manziel to go into Alabama, to go into Alabama and to beat the mighty Crimson Tide. That, and this is a, he was a redshirt freshman at the time, so that made it even bigger. But I tell you this, and I know a lot of people are downplaying the revenge factor. They're downplaying the revenge factor. You know what? It's just another game. I don't believe that. You know, a lot of, and of course they're going to downplay. But to me, this is a revenge football game. This is a revenge game. And you look at last year, and the funny part about last year, you know, we, we talk about the great performance of Johnny Menzel, but he got off to a scintillating start. The Texas A&M Aggies 
got off to a scintillating start. I mean, 20 to nothing in the first quarter. 20 to nothing in the first quarter. The first quarter, 20 to nothing. But you look at it there, from that point on, Alabama the rest of the way outscored Texas A&M 24 to 9. So it was a bad 15 minutes for Alabama. The first 15 were bad, and the first 15 cost them that football game. I mean, you look at Texas A&M's first three, first three drives, excuse me, nine plays, 73 yards, rushing touchdown. Four plays, 41 yards, and a passing touchdown. 14 plays, 73 yards, and a touchdown all in the first quarter. Conversely, Alabama's first three possessions, three plays, two yards, punt. Second possession, four plays, 23 yards, and a pick. Third possession, three plays, one yard, and a punt. Alabama started off slow, very slow. And Texas A&M came out on a mission. But Alabama came back in that second half, even that second quarter, two scoring drives in that second quarter, to cut it to 2014. Ultimately, they will cut it to 2017 in the third quarter. Aggies get a field goal. Then Aggies get a big touchdown, 24 yards out, made it 29-17. Alabama will score again, but ultimately Texas A&M will hold on. To me, this is a revenge game. And to me, I'm looking at A.J. McCarron, a guy to me that we're overlooking here because we're talking about Johnny Manziel. We're overlooking A.J. McCarron. We're not talking about A.J. McCarron. This is a two-time national title winner. Back to back. Back to back, A.J. McCarron. And we're talking about Johnny Manziel. And granted, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. Granted, Johnny Manziel is a superstar. He's a celebrity. He, he's joined, and he's enjoying it. He's enjoying it, signing autographs and, and, and hanging out with Rick Ross and, and, and at Heat games and everything, just enjoying his life, enjoying the celebrity. Comes from a lot of money. So he's got money, money and a thing for Johnny Manziel. But he's enjoying being a 20-year-old college kid. He's enjoying his celebrity. He's enjoying it. About A.J. About what he has done. We forget about some of the things he has done for Alabama. Two time champion. Back to back champion. We forget about that when it comes to AJ McCarron. We forget about that. 22 and 2 over the last two seasons. We forget about that. We forget about that. We forget about that. This guy, A.J. McCarron, has been big time, big time. And they're going to need him to be big time going into College Station. To me, first 15 minutes of that game, 20 to nothing Texas A&M. Obviously, you can't have that happen. If that were to happen again, 
It could be a blowout. And Alabama, you know, last week, you know, they beat Virginia Tech, but A.J. McCarron really didn't have one of his better performances, 10 for 23, only 110 yards. So not a big-time performance out of Alabama last week. Did some things on special teams, did some things on the defensive side of football, and ultimately they overwhelmed and beat Virginia Tech. But at the same time, obviously A.J. McCarron has to play better if Alabama wants to win this football game. He has to play better, and he will play better. I like Alabama today, folks. I I like Alabama in this particular football game, and to me it's simple. Revenge, A.J. McCarron. I expect A.J. McCarron to come out and have a big-time football game. I expect A.J. McCarron to have a big-time football game today. And I expect him to have that big-time game. I expect Alabama to have a big-time game. There I say, there I say, I think Alabama's going to go in here and make a big-time statement. They're going to show you, me, and everybody else why they're the number one team in the nation. They're going to make a big-time statement today against Texas A&M. I actually think they're going to dominate this game. And I expect a big-time dominating performance out of Alabama today in College Station. I really do. A.J. McCarron's going to be big. That defense is going to be big. You watch. You see. I like Alabama today. What a day. And what a day. What a day. I, I, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. What a day to be a fan of sports. What a day. You can't beat it. You can't beat this day. It's going to be big. I'm looking forward to it. Can that Aggies defense step up? Can they step up against A.J. McCarron in that Alabama offense? Yeldon in that Alabama run game? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think Alabama's defense is going to be ready. I think... Alabama's quarterback is going to be ready. I think Nick Saban's going to have that team geared up and ready to go. Geared up and ready to go. And I think the Alabama Crimson Tide will get the victory today at College Station. But what an environment at College Station today. What what, what an environment that is today. The 12th man is going to be very important today. For Texas A&M, the 12th man will be very important. So 3:30, get in front of your TVs. Please get in front of your TVs and watch Alabama, Texas A&M, the rematch. Can Johnny Heisman pull off the same type of performance that he did a week ago? No, last year I should say, where Johnny Heisman, 92 rushing yards where he was dominant, and where the Aggies got off to a 20 to nothing start. I just think it was a situation where Texas A&M came out, smacked Alabama in the mouth. They weren't ready for it. And by the time they woke up, it was just a little too late. By the time they woke up, it was a little too late. But 24 to 9 is what Alabama outscored. They outscored. Johnny Menzel and the Texas A&M Aggies, excuse me, 
24 to 9. 24 to 9. And I think, you know, that, that, that to me tells me something. That tells me that Alabama got off to a bad start, obviously. That tells me that Texas A&M Aggies smacked Alabama in the mouth, obviously. But that tells me that Alabama, to me, when they finally woke up, they finally figured it out, and they finally figured out what they needed to do, they rolled. Roll tie. Roll tie. It's going to be a big performance. It's going to be a big game. But I think the best quarterback today will not be Johnny Heisman, Johnny Manziel. It's going to be A.J. McCarron. But we'll see. We shall see. Let's move to Sunday now, the National Football League. And I want to go back to what we saw Monday night, and everybody's talking about it, the Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles and the performance by that Philadelphia Eagles offense, even a defense in that first half. I mean, the Eagles in that first half were just ripping and running and rolling up and down the field. Bunch of plays. There were 53 plays in that first quarter by the Philadelphia Eagles offense. 53 plays. I mean, they're, they're, they're ripping and they're running. They're ripping and they're running. And they're going up and down the field. It was, it was beautiful to see. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a lifelong Eagles fan, and I'm a lifelong Eagles fan. I, and I said 53 plays in the first quarter, it's 53 in the first half. I'm a lifelong Eagles fan, and what I saw yes uh, last Monday night was, was it was beautiful. It was it was it was different. It was innovative. It was fast, and it was a type of game where you you needed a water break after the first quarter, and you were saying to yourself, "There's three more quarters to go." I mean, the Eagles were fast and furious in that particular ball game, going up and down the field. But they got off to a tremendous start. But there in that second half, they kind of slowed it down a little bit. They kind of slowed it down a little bit. And it could have been fatigue, you know, in terms of uh, the quarterback, Michael Vick, and in terms of just the team as a whole. But it was beautiful. LaShawn McCoy, 31 carries. 182 yards. I mean, he was getting it done for the Philadelphia Eagles. Michael Vick getting it done for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, good performance, not a great performance. I think if you watched the game, there were some passes that he missed on. Good performance, not a great performance, but he ran the ball effectively, especially in that third quarter, that fourth quarter there, where he, he did the read option perfectly, held on to the ball, made a nice little move. Scamper for 34 big yards. But the thing about Michael Vick is whether or not, I mean, and the Eagles were up 26-7 at halftime. Could have been easily, what, 33, almost 40 to nothing in that first half. I mean, it was it was dominating. I mean, that, that lateral, which was called a lateral, seemed like it was a pass. It was close. But, you know, the, the Redskins were ultimately able to stop the Eagles there. And, you know, Eagles were running. They were right down there. And the Redskins got a big-time turnover. Their only touchdown in the first half. But it could have easily have been 33, if not 40, to nothing in that first half. I mean, it was just a track meet like no other. It really was, and it was exciting. It was exciting. It was fun to watch. A lot of questions now. Can he keep it up? Can Michael Vick stay healthy? 
You know, you you got a hundred players on the Oregon football team. You only have fifty three here for the Philadelphia Eagles. Big difference. And in terms of college, the drop off from one to two isn't as drastic as it is in the NFL. Isn't as drastic as it is in the NFL. Your question, can Michael Vick stay healthy? Can Michael Vick stay healthy enough where he can play a full season and where we can see the best of his offense? Can he play a full season? He was limping around there at the end of the game. I mean, he has He's not. I mean, to, to think that Michael Vick is going to play a full season is kind of hard to believe. I mean, it's going to be difficult for Michael Vick to stay healthy. He's going to. He's taking a lot of hits. He took a lot of hits in that particular game. Does not know how to slide. Only does the head first slide, and that's just a recipe for disaster. Michael Vick. If he can stay healthy, dare I say the Eagles are possibly a playoff team. If this defense, I mean, this Philadelphia Eagles defense talent-wise, I don't think it's the most talented. I mean, you have some holes in the secondary. and But you look at this defense, I don't think they have to stop anybody per se. Obviously, you want them to stop people, but the reality is that they can be as opportunistic as they were Monday night, where they had three turnovers, if they can be that opportunistic, they can be successful. I don't. Obviously, this is not a a, a, a big time defense. Obviously, this is not a shutdown defense. This is not a shutdown type of defense. It's not. But if this defense can be as opportunistic as they were Monday night, and granted, I think this defense may have benefited from a rusty G3. I mean, our G3 was rusty. That first half, he was rusty, he was tentative. He just didn't seem like himself, and he just didn't seem like mentally he had enough confidence in that knee to let it, let it fly. But that, you know, I think the Eagles did benefit defensively from a rusty RG3, rusty G3. The Eagles benefited from that. I think they benefited from that. And obviously, you you look at the second half of that game, and it almost became like a third preseason game for RG3. I mean, he was getting himself back in the groove. And, you know, when it was all said and done, RG3 actually ended up, when it was all said and done, with 329 yards passing. Granted, he flicked it 49 times, almost 50 times he threw the football, and granted, at the same time, the Eagles were probably a little soft defensively there in that second half. So you, you got to see what you get out of RG3 the next week and, and the weeks to come. And that's one of the reasons I thought RG3 and the Redskins were going to take a step back. Because I believe it's going to take time for, for Robert Griffin III, RG3, to come back and be his effective self, effective self excuse me, I think that's going to take time. That's not going to happen tomorrow. That's not going to happen right away. And for that reason, I mean, they go to Green Bay tomorrow to play the Packers. They're not going to win that football game. The Redskins will be 0-2 after this week. They're not going to win next week against the Green Bay Packers. This week, I should say, against the Green Bay Packers. They're not. 
They're not going to Lambeau and beating the Packers. Packers coming off a loss to the San Francisco 49ers. It's not happening. It's not happening. They're not going to beat the Packers in Green Bay. It's just not happening. Don't expect it to happen because it won't happen. They're not beating the Packers in Green Bay. So they're going to be 0-2. Next, let's look at their schedule now. The next, let's go to the next two weeks after Green Bay. Home, they, get, they are home against the Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions team who I think is going to be much better. Lions team is going to be much better this season. Not saying they're going to win that not saying they're going to lose that game because I think the Redskins will win that game. And they go to Oakland after that. They'll beat the Raiders. Oakland's always been a tough place to play, but they'll beat the Raiders. But after that, you know, they have their bye week. The next three weeks, week six, seven, and eight, at Dallas, home to Chicago, and at Denver. That's going to be a tough three-week span. I only see the Redskins winning one of those three games. I only see one of those three games. I do. So at that point, they should be what? Three and three. Three and three. After week eight, I expect, no, actually three and four. I expect the Redskins to be three and four. Week nine, San Diego at home. That's a game they should win. They'll be four and four after week nine. Weeks 10, 11, and 12 at Minnesota, at Philadelphia, and home to the 49ers again. I only see one of those games. I only see one win out of one of the, out of those games. So at that point, they're five and five and seven, I believe. So five and six. My math is all messed up here, but anyway, they're not going to be a playoff team. They're not going to be a playoff team. You got the Giants after San Francisco, week thirteen. Kansas City, who after last week seemed like to be seemed to be a much more improved team. Then they could have. At Atlanta, week 15, home to Dallas, and at New York. I don't think the Washington Redskins are going to make the playoffs. I, I predicted that to begin the season, and I don't see it happening right now. I don't see it happening. They're going to be 2-2 two and two after week four. I believe that to be the case. They'll be 3-4 and four after week eight. I believe that to be the case. So... They'll be five and seven after five and six, excuse me, after week twelve. They're not making the playoffs. They're just not. The Washington Redskins will not make the playoffs. I don't see it. I don't see it. Was it a mistake for Robert Griffin the third to sit out the whole preseason? I mean. It, it's a tough situation. To me, it's kind of similar to what we saw in terms of the tough situation that Mike Shanahan had to make and the tough decision he had to make in the playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks. It's a tough situation. If he puts them in in the preseason and he gets, and he gets hurt, we're gonna we would kill him. We'd rip him. We rip him if we put, if he put him in that preseason game. In a preseason game, he gets hurt. We would rip him. I just knew coming into this game that it benefited the Eagles to get RG3 at this point because he was going to have a level of rust. He's only started 15 games. It's not like this is Tom Brady or 
or, or Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers. This is RG3. He's only started 15 games. That's it. Only has started 15 games. That's it. 15. So, you knew he was going to come out with a level of rust. You knew he was going to be a little shaky early on. He was shaky early on. He was shaky early on. The team as a whole, the whole Washington Redskins were shaky early on. They were a shaky football team. And that shakiness in the first half put them behind the eight ball. And ultimately the Eagles were able to cruise and get the victory. I look at Mike Shanahan, and again, it's a catch-22. You put him in the preseason, something happens there, you're getting ripped. You don't put him in the preseason, you send him out week one, you're getting ripped because ultimately he didn't play well. And granted, it's only one game. And it's a lot of football to be played, 15 more games to be played, to be exact. But they have the Green Bay Packers tomorrow at Lambeau. It ain't happening. You're going 0-2. You're going to be an 0-2 football team. Having to face the Detroit Lions, who, again, I think are an improved football team. We saw Reggie Bush do some amazing things out of the backfield, catching the football. I mean, did you see that catch and run where he just took it up the middle and just, I mean, speed kills. Speed kills. And there was a lot of speed there, and it killed. It was a lot of speed there, and it killed. I mean, Reggie Bush just took that thing up the middle, and it was like, woo-woo, beautiful. But you got the Lions going to Arizona, a game that they can win. They could possibly be 2-0 going into Washington week three, and I think the Redskins will be 0-2. The Lions are a better football team. Oakland, who the Redskins have week four, I mean, they played the Colts to the end. They had a legitimate shot to beat the Colts down early, ultimately were able to come back and take the lead, but were not able to finish the football game as the Colts and Andrew Luck got it done down the stretch. But the Raiders... It's not always easy to beat them in Oakland. And the Redskins have the Raiders week four in Oakland. I think they'll win the football game. And if I was betting any money, I would bet it on the Washington Redskins. But let's be clear. Let's be clear. I said it at the beginning of the season. I said it last week. The Washington Redskins will take a step back in 2013. RG3, coming back from a knee reconstruction. And let's be clear about something also. Adrian Peterson has changed the game in terms of ACL reconstruction. This, an ACL injury, you talk about an ACL injury, you talk about a two-year injury. You're talking about guys not being right until that second year. Well, Adrian Peterson has changed the game in terms of that. But we can't expect everyone. I mean, Adrian Peterson came back 2,000 yards, almost got Eric Dickerson's rushing record in a single season. Almost got it. But we can't expect guys to come back from knee reconstruction and be who they were again. You can't expect that. You can't expect that. 
What Adrian Peterson did is not the rule, it's the exception. We look at it with Derrick Rose. People were ripping Derrick Rose for, for not getting back after he tore his ACL. That was because of Adrian Peterson backlash. That was because we got comfortable with guys coming back right away from ACLs and running for 2,000-plus yards. That does not Hello? 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 Hello, RG3, man. Hello? What's up with you? So, uh, what you think about those Redskins? I think they're going to take a step back this season. I think this is a what? team that's going to be 0-2 after this week. I don't think they're you, – you think they're going to go in Lambeau and beat the Packers coming off a loss? We're talking oh about the Packers God. coming off a loss. The Packers are, are not even that great. I mean, they got beat by the Wolves last year. You have to be kidding me right now. You, you're talking about a him. Packers team that went to the end with the San Francisco 49ers last week, a, a Packers team that can put up points, a Packers team who is going to be at Lambeau Field, they're coming off a loss, they're going to be at Lambeau, they're going to win that football game. They're going to win that football game. And the call it dropped. But the bottom line is this. The Green Bay Packers are going to win tomorrow. The Redskins are going to take a step back. RG3 is going to take a step back. This season. Not for his career, just this season. You just don't come back from knee reconstruction as fast as as some of these guys are doing and and be effective. Adrian Peterson's 2,000 yards was an exception coming off an ACL. Not the rule. Don't get comfortable with that. Don't ever get comfortable with guys coming right come coming back right away. We can look at the sport of basketball and we look at, we can look at Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose we were vilifying him and chastising him and ripping him because he wouldn't come back. He wasn't mentally ready to come back, he said. If he says that, I got to say, you know what, you are, you're not mentally ready, you don't need to come back. And that's the way I look at it when it comes to Derrick Rose and that whole situation. And even RG3, I mean, I was, at one point was calling for Kirk Cousins because RG3 just didn't look like himself. He didn't seem assured of himself. He just didn't seem mentally, he didn't have confidence in that knee. I didn't see any confidence in that knee. But he picked it up later in the game, and we'll see if he can take that into Green Bay. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And I don't see it happening. Another big game last week, the Tennessee Titans went into Pittsburgh and beat up on the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers it's tough in Pittsburgh right now. Larry Foote going for the year. Marquise Pouncey going for the year. Pittsburgh, I mean, they struggle mightily. They struggle mightily against the Tennessee Titans. And one of the reasons was the Titans' defense. And one of the reasons was this guy. Let's bring him in now. Safety for the Tennessee Titans, Bernard Pollard. Bernard, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. 
Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Bernard, let's get right down to it. A dominating defensive performance by your Tennessee Titans, holding the Steelers to one touchdown and holding them below 200 total yards. Talk about your team's defensive performance. Well, you know, I think, you know, for all of us, um, it's it's definitely a good thing when you can go out there and you can perform in a hostile environment uh, against a really good football team uh, who knows how to win a veteran club. Um, you know, anytime we can step in and, and just play really good ball, I think, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely a plus for our team. But I think, you know, when it's all said and done, we can't settle on this. Uh, we still got a lot to fix. Uh, we got a lot to do. Um, and we're about to face another ball club. We're about to go in a hostile environment against a team that's been in the playoffs the last couple of years. And uh, we got to show that we can, you know, we can stack these victories. Now, a lot of people didn't really give you guys a chance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Did that give you guys any extra motivation going into that game? Well, I think, you know, the, the, just the respect that the Tennessee Titans have gotten the last couple of years, the last few years, has been, been you know, uh, it's been, been very little. Um, so, I, you know, I think with our ball club, we understand, you know, that nobody respects us. Nobody's going to give us, you know, uh, the benefit of the doubt. You know, so I'm a, I'm a true believer, and, and, and our team's definitely a true believer of, you know, if you don't want to give us respect, we'll take it. Uh, we're flying under the radar. Uh, this is exactly what we want to be. I think, you know, like I said, we're a team where we still got a lot to, to fix. Right. Uh, we had a great week of practice this week, and, and we're going to play a, a really good opponent, you know, in our home turf. Now, you played against the Steelers twice, uh, well, a lot of times with the Baltimore Ravens. How much did that help you in this game? Well, I think, you know, uh, knowing the tendencies and knowing just the, just the, uh, the roster, uh, you, you have to know who you're going against. And, that's, you know, uh, I think for us, we knew we were going against, you know, some, some heavyweight boxers, uh, some heavyweight, right. you know, thumpers, guys that can go in there, big bullies. Uh, and, I, and I use that in, in a good way, um, you know. And, and, and these, these, like I said, these guys know how, they know how to win. They they won a Super Bowl, they, a lot of Super Bowls. Uh, they have a lot of guys that can, you know, fix a game uh, or complete a game, and you know, play the full sixty minutes. Uh, they, number seven is, you know, Roethlisberger is, is, is as good as it gets. Uh, the guy knows how to extend the plays. And I, I thought for us, uh, going into that game, uh, just with the experience that I've had playing against uh, this football team. Um, you know, I, I definitely share what I what I knew, uh, but at the same time, it's a new year, uh, and and I mean, for us, the game plan was a lot different. We just went in, uh, we bought into what the coach was selling, and uh, we played really well. Now, the Titans brought a lot of different guys in on the defensive side of football. A lot of new blood. You look at this defense last year; they gave up the most points in the NFL. How much does this performance give you guys confidence? that this defense will be much better in 2013? Well, we definitely know, we're, you know, we're very different. Um, you know, we're not the same team that we were last year. Uh, you know, having said that, I think, you know, we're, we're still very young, uh, but we have, some, we have some, some, some veteran guys that they've sprinkled in um, on the defensive side of the ball as well as the offensive side of the ball. You know, uh, Rustin, you know, and, 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 and just the front office did a great job as, going, as far as going out there getting talent to help you know, our run game, you know, to help, you know, the protection for Jake to help, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, in the secondary and, and on the D-line um, and with the linebackers. So I, they did a great job as far as getting the talent in. Uh, but when it's all said and done, it's about getting 11 guys on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, and special teams to buy in, uh, to not – 
to not, you know, uh, settle for anything less. We have to be a club that we expect to go out there and, and, and to compete. We expect to go out and get victories. We expect to, to go to the playoffs. We expect to get the Super Bowl, um, you know, right. in this up-and-coming up, up season. And I think, you know, that's our model. We're not going to settle for anything less. We're talking to Titans safety, Bernard Pollard. And now your defense brought in defensive assistant Greg Williams. He brings attitude, and you guys talked about the attitude that he brings to your defense. Talk about that attitude. What does he bring? Well, I think, you know, Coach Williams is a coach who he's been there. He's, he's a Super Bowl winning um, defensive coordinator. He's been a head coach in this football league. He's, he's, he has 30-plus years um, being involved in the National Football League. So he, understand, he understands what it takes. He knows what a defense should look like. Um, and he's there for assistance for, you know, uh, Coach Gray. And, and I think, you know, he, they complement each other very well. This is not their first time working together. Coach Gray worked under him uh, here in Tennessee uh, with the Washington Redskins. So uh, they, they have uh, – they, they, they've worked together before, so they have the chemistry and everything that's there. I think, you know, you look at the first game and how, you know, I mean, obviously you guys can't see our playbook, but the way our playbook and everything is set up, you know, so they, they're helping each other out. And I think, you know, with Coach Williams, he's, he's definitely a big part of bringing accountability uh, to this football on the defense side of the ball, to the football club. And I think for all of us, you know, we're very appreciative of that. And, and I mean, you know, I look at it uh, as, you know, he, he's, he's the type of coach that I love. You know, he's a fiery guy. He's going to drop, you know, some words that you don't want to hear sometimes. He's going to drop some right. words that you got to bleep out on TV. Uh, but that's perfectly fine with me because, like I said, he's going to keep me accountable. He's going to keep me on my toes as well as everybody else on our defense. Have you ever seen an arrangement like this? <laughs> it, this is unique. Uh, it, it's really uh, it, it's, it's different. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, it works because, like I said, they've worked together before. So I think, right. you know, uh, with something like this, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, you know, Russin or uh, Coach Munchek would have been, you know, okay with bringing, you know, this thing together. But these, uh, these guys have worked together before. You know, Coach Munch, Coach Gray, Coach Williams, um, and as well as some of these other coaches on the, on the uh, staff. Um, so, you know, like I said, if they, if, I don't think if they didn't work together before, it wouldn't. I've never seen it before, but like I said, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's working now. And uh, right. we just want to, we want to continue to stay, you know, in the, in the position we're in. Uh, we want to fly on the radar. We want to continue to do well, stack good practices so we can go and play well on Sunday. We're talking to Titan safety, Bernard Pollard. And Bernard, interesting offseason for you. You were released by the Ravens. Ultimately, you were signed with the Tennessee Titans. And ultimately, you would skip the White House visit with President Obama. <laughs> do you regret that, doing that at this time, or, you know, it is what it is to you? Well, you know what it is what it is. You know, for me, uh, you know, Winning the Super Bowl, it was an amazing comp- accomplishment in my career. Uh, it's, it's the best of the best. Uh, you know, you have a lot of guys that have stepped in this league that are Hall of Famers, guys that have been defensive players, offensive players of the year, uh, all pros, Pro Bowls, all this other stuff, but it's ne- have never, ever – played in a Super Bowl game, have never, ever won a Super Bowl uh, championship. Uh, so, you know, for me to be able to accomplish that, that, like I said, that was truly a blessing, and I thank God every day for that. Um, having said that, I think, you know, uh, after the game was won, uh, after everything, you know, uh, happened the way it did, you know, I think for me it was better for me to – be with my family. Uh, we had some trips and everything uh, already laid out. You know, uh, fans and everybody, they, they, they get upset that, you know, 
players didn't attend the, the White House ceremony or the, 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 the ring ceremony or this or that, but you don't understand the time that we miss from our families, you know, during the season. Um, you know, that's five months, you know, that I, I miss, uh, you know, that, that I miss with my family or whatever, five to six months. And, 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 and those are times that I, I can't get back. I can never, ever get that time back. So, you know, I want to take advantage of everything. I'm very appreciative of my teammates. Uh, you know, the coaching staff, the front office, uh, the city of Baltimore. It's truly a blessing, and I, and, and I had so much fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I'm a Tennessee Titan. Uh, I was, you know, I was practicing. I was in OTAs and everything else, but, but I was also, you know, going on vacation with my family. Now, you look at it, at one point you said that there were certain people that you didn't want to be around associated with the Baltimore Ravens. Do you still, do you still in talking to you now, I, I don't sense any animosity, but do you still have any animosity towards the Raven organization? Well, you know, in this business, uh, this business, Paul, it's, uh, it's a business. And, and I think, you know, uh, when you have that word involved in it, you know, this, is, this league is about what can you do for me now, not later, but now. Um, right. And and you know just the way you you guys see players get cut left and right, uh, you know players are in, in and out of the system, you know uh, getting paid a lot of money, then gone uh, on trades and everything else. So you know it's about what can you do for me. And uh, you know I felt like you know I was a player who I played with six fractured ribs last year, um, you know and and you know I, I thought I got the raw into the you know raw into the deal last year and and uh, I got a raw deal. Uh, I, I, I still feel that way, but at the end of the day, I'm not, I am not, you know, I, I don't hate anybody. I don't like the way the business, uh, I, don't, I don't like the way things transpired, you know, but at, with having, you know, having gone through everything and, 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 and you know, this past off season and everything else, man, like I said, I'm a Tennessee Titan. I'm so thankful for the position that I'm in. Uh, no, I don't. You know, I, I dislike, like I said, I dislike what, some things that I would have done. Uh, but as far as person to person, I thank everybody, Coach Harbaugh, uh, you know, Ozzie and all, all of the other guys. And, and uh, you know, I got a Super Bowl, and that's something that nobody can take away from me. Now, at one point you had the termination letter in your locker. Is it still there? It's definitely still there. It's, it's definitely still okay. there because it reminds me that this thing is a business. Um, and, 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 and it's not because I hate anybody, but it's, it's, for us as players, we, we have to be reminded, you know, uh, when you come in on your high horse sometimes, when you have a good game, uh, when you have a bad game, uh, when you have a good practice, a bad practice, uh, when you don't feel like being there at all. You know, when you look at that, you know, and, and, and for what's checked on my uh, termination letter, uh, it was, it's a complete lie. Uh, it's, it's a lie, and, and, I, and I, you know, I dislike that, that, that it was a lie about, why you terminated me or whatever, but, you know, that's a reminder, uh, you know, that this business, you know, this window is so, sh- is so small. Uh, we have, it's a short window to play the game of football at this level, uh, and we as players, we've got to take advantage of it, and we need an edge to keep us going, um, and, and, and that, as long as some other things, that those are just chips in, you know, in my bag that, that, that keeps me pissed off and, and ready to play. What, what is the lie? What was the lie? <laughs> I, um, I can't remember, you know, verbatim what it said, but it was—I mean, it was just one of the one of the things, you know, on why you know they released me, um, you know, because of talent or something like that. I don't, I don't even remember. Like I said, I don't remember what right. it said. I, I, all I do is just look at the termination part, um, you know, and and that keeps that keeps the fuel, you know, in, in, in the tank and and keep me going. Now, Bernard, you're a very physical player. You've been a very physical player over the years. It's cost you some money 
over the years. You know, today's NFL, <laughs> a lot of rule changes, a lot of rule changes. How difficult is it to make a legal, unfindable hit in the National Football League today? How hard is it? It's very difficult, and I think, you know, uh, at some point in time, uh, I actually was just watching a game. Uh, one of the cornerbacks for the Cowboys, I think it was, uh, trying to go in Claiborne, trying to go in and make a tackle uh, to make sure he was getting his head or whatever out the way, and, and it cost him, you know, his shoulder. Uh, right. and, and, I mean, it, it's, it's very hard for us as defensive players. We already had a disadvantage, and a lot of people don't understand that, but we're backpedaling at the start of a play, and then we're reacting to what they're doing as they're running forward on us. Uh, so uh, now you have a board and you have the commissioner who's stepping in and saying, okay, well, we want to change these rules and change this rule. Uh, we understand, completely understand about, you know, hitting guys in the head uh, when you're trying to be malicious or when you're going after guys' knees when, when people don't see. We understand that completely. But I think, you know, if you're going to stop and review every single touchdown play, every single turnover, when it's, Sometimes some of the touchdowns we've seen this past Sunday in the preseason, it was a clear-cut touchdown, a clear-cut interception right. or a fumble, and they're still reviewing it. Well, if you're going to have these kind of plays or reviews, you need to have reviews for tackling. You know, uh, if it was a malicious hit, if it was on purpose, review it. You know, you already slowed the, the games are no longer going three hours anymore. They're, they're going four, no. four and a half hours now because of everything that they want to install in this game, and I think they're, they're destroying the game. And, and I agree with you, I mean, because I, I was watching the game this weekend, watching the Eagles game uh, to be exact, and every time, every turnover, every touchdown, to your point, it is slowing the game. And, and I think to your point also, if you're going to do that, you might as well do the other stuff with the with the hits and everything because 15 yards is 15 yards, and it can really change the landscape of the of a football game. So I agree with you, man, and I think it's something they're going to have to look at at some point moving forward. And you had some interesting comments back in February where you said you don't see football <laughs> being around in 20 years. You still feel the same way? Oh, definitely. I definitely still feel the same way. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, with this league, uh, we as players, we're so appreciative. Uh, and, and I don't want – I guess for me, you know, I'm, I'm just a player where I see and I understand and I'm, I'm involved. So some fans might get mad and upset and say, well, he needs to shut his mouth or this or that. Well, I'm in this thing. I see it every single day. Um, you know, football has, has, has been an out for me um, since I was a little kid. You know, so it gave me an out. Like I said, I'm truly, truly blessed to play this, to play this sport. Uh, but having, you know, played the game and understanding and seeing a lot of the rule changes and everything else, uh, this isn't three, this isn't E60 or three whatever that is where, where they're trying to show the kids tackling form tackling and this and that. Well, everything every form tackles look good when you walking through it. Every form tackle look good when you hit the bag. You know that bag isn't running you know 15 to 20 25 30 miles an hour at you to shake you or to do whatever else. It's not full speed. Um, you know, so it's tough to play this game at a full speed level. You got fines, you got this and that. Um, I, I think you know. For, for me, I'm a true believer, you know, the fans are, are, are the ones that are making this game. You know, we need to accommodate the fans. A lot of fans out there spending their last to keep the cable going so they can see their team play. A lot of fans right. want to take their kids, want to take their wives, their husband to the games to, to see their team perform. A lot of teams or a lot of people, a lot of fans are, are filling these stadiums, 
year in, year out, week in, week out, Super Bowl in, Super Bowl out. And I think, you know, the, the fans are getting the raw end of the deal uh, because, you know, you, you look at this and with all of the rule changes with this and that, this is the best sport out there right now. This is a freaking $20 billion sport. That is ridiculous. And it might be more than that. You know, we just that's all. We just know some numbers. We don't know all of them. Right. But you know, I just right. really believe. You know, uh, we need we need to fix some things. Uh, and if we don't, you know, like I said, I don't think this game is going to be around. And to your point, to me, it's almost like grandmama's special cornbread. You keep taking certain ingredients out of grandmama's special cornbread. The cornbread is not going to be special hey. anymore. And, yeah, exactly. and so I, I I see your point. I see your point. I think it's. You keep tinkering, you keep tinkering, you keep tinkering with the game. Eventually, it's not going to taste the same. It's not going to look the same. And ultimately, it could affect the game. But we'll see. We'll see. We're talking to Tennessee Titans safety, <laughs> Bernard Pollard. And, Bernard, you guys, as we said, coming off a big win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You got another tough road game coming up against the Houston Texans, the AFC South champions. This is a team that you guys are chasing. You're chasing the Houston Texans, Houston Texans excuse me, on some level. What do you feel like you guys need to take away from the Texans to be successful in this game? Well, you know, you, 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 we have to understand, uh, you know, where their playmakers are at all times. And, I, and I'm speaking for the defense side of the ball. we got to know where 80 is, right. uh, 23, 81. Um, you know, those, those guys are, are very special. 88, too. Uh, those guys are very special in this offense. Uh, and they keep they keep change moving. Uh, our, our number one goal is to shut down the run. We want to shut the run down. We want to be able to go in there and step in and uh, you know make them one dimensional. And if we make them one dimensional, we got to know where eighty is. Uh, eighty is a guy who's been doing it for ten plus years, getting open, scoring touchdowns, uh, being productive on the football field. Um, you know, and, and this is the this is a, vi- a division game. Uh, this is for you know a win in the, in, in the division, not only in the, the win column, but for our division. Um, we want to be able to take this thing over. Um, you know, I think for all of us, we're kind of we've been tired of, 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 like I said, going back to the respect. We've been tired of the disrespect. So you know, we got to go in and we got to play hard if we want this team to respect us and pull off right. a victory in their home turf. So you feel like this is a statement game? Well, it's, you know, when you say statement game, you know, everybody said statement game last week. You know, this is another game. This is a tough uh, – this is going to be a tough battle on the road. Um, you know, you always want to say you want to win your home games and split on the road. Well, I think for all of us, uh, for the way we want to go and we want to play ball, we want to win all 16. Is that realistic? No, that's not. But at the same time, um, I think, you know, if we continue to stack great practices like we did this week and last week, um, great performances are going to come on Sunday. Um, are they going to be perfect? No, they're not. Not by not by any means or is it going to be perfect. But, you know, I think, you know, we're going to have a good shot to go out there and we're going to play good. I, I think, you know, for our team, you know, we continue. We want to continue to be successful. We want to do some good things, and we still got a long way to go. And it definitely this is going to be a big-time football game. And you guys, like I said, big victory against the Steelers. If you get this victory, a lot of people are going to be talking about the Titans. You guys aren't going to be flying under the radar no more if you win this ball game. Talk about it. I mean, tough road game against the Steelers. Now you got to get back up and play the Houston Texans, another tough road game. How tough is that, man? Well, Paul, you say get back up. I think for any any uh, football player in the National Football League, if if 
a coach or if another player got to get you up to play the game, something wrong. Uh, uh, today was a payday for us. Uh, so you, at, at the end of practice, you see the envelopes and everything in everybody's locker. I didn't see not one player take that envelope, take it back upstairs and say, hey, I don't want to be paid. You know, so nobody's giving a check back. Nobody is giving the money back, you know, if they don't have to without being fined. Uh, so, I, you know, we shouldn't have to get you up for a football game. You've been blessed to play, you know, football at a high level. You have a lot of people, you know, watching you play. A lot of kids are looking up to you. Go out there and you perform. You know, I think for our defense, we want to show up for our team. We want to show up and show out every single Sunday. And like I said, it starts during a week in practice. So it's going to be a fun one for us. Uh, nobody's going to have to get us up. We've got to go out there and we got to play. we got to play our balls off. Now, Bernard, I heard there are a lot of great dancers in Fort Wayne. Is that still true? <laughs> hey, man, hey, it's true, man. I keep trying to tell everybody, you don't want me to cut a rug. I, 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 I'm pretty good at cutting the rug. I, I can show you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, it got out on HBO, man. We had a blast. Uh, a lot of guys always try to test me, you know, see if I still got it. You know, I'm 28, and I still can get down. <laughs> now, Bernard, you're a physical guy, and it's going to be a big fight this weekend in, a, in Las Vegas. Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez. How do you see that fight, man? Who wins? Oh, man, I I, I want to say um, just because Floyd has continued to he, he continues to show his dominance um, in, in 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 boxing. Uh, the guy is phenomenal. Uh, you know, he, I, I want to say he's going to outpunch this guy. He's going to he's going to tire this guy out. He's going to frustrate this guy uh, as he's done in, in all of his fights. You know, Floyd is a great counterpuncher. He can set you up. Uh, the guy is uh, he, he's. He plays defense really well. Uh, he, he, he boxes on the defense, man, and the guy is, like I said, he's phenomenal. So I think Floyd wins. Um, I, I want to say he's going to knock him out in the eighth. I think Floyd will knock him out in the eighth. So uh, if, if Floyd gets knocked out, you know, hey, you know, I don't think it's going to piss too many people off. People are going to be happy because a lot of people don't like him, and people don't like him because he is great. Right. And you're right, you're right. It's definitely going to be an interesting fight. It's definitely going to be a great scene there in Las Vegas. Bernard, you're big on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Oh, man, they can, uh, you know, you can follow me at uh, Crushboy31, that's C-R-U-S-H-B-O-Y 31. Uh, man, get on, chat with me. There's uh, not too many players in the league, man, that's chatting with uh, with fans or with just people. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to say fans. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the type of player where I, I want to I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know Bernard. I want you to get to know Bernard number 31. I want you to get to know Bernard. And I understand that 31 and everything else, you know, yeah, we got to do that for the Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, you're going to be chatting with me. You're going to get to know and understand we're going to laugh. Or, you know, I love making people laugh. I love, you know, people making me laugh. And, and uh, you know, it's just social media, man, and we having fun. Definitely, definitely. Bernard. Pleasure having you on, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Paul. And we're back. A little technical difficulties there. I actually have my microphone closed. Got my microphone open and ready to go. But, you know, Bernard Powell said some interesting things in that particular interview, a lot of interesting things in that interview. And uh, it, it made you think 20 years from now, could the game be gone? Could the game be as not as popular as it is today? I don't necessarily see that happening. 
you know, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, fantasy football, I think, makes the game special. Suicide pools makes the game viable and special. The betting aspect makes the game viable and special. And I think there's still going to be a level of physicality when it comes to the National Football League. Even though you're doing some things to, to try to limit summit-to-helmet-to-helmet hits and things of that nature, you can't completely take out the physicality of the sport. The, the sport is meant to be physical. The sport is meant to be physical. So, I, I mean, you know, is it always the possibility that the league – I mean, 20 years from now, the league may not be as popular as it is today. I mean, 20 years ago today, you look at 1993 – was the NFL as popular as it is now? No, I think the NFL has grown big time. The TV dollars have grown big time. Well, ninety it was in ninety three. I think Fox first stepped on the scene in, in terms of uh, TV money and, and making it, you know, a big time TV sport. Well, NFL's always been a big time TV sport, but you know, Fox kind of upped the ante when they stepped into. And, and got the NFL package, the NFC package from CBS. They kind of upped the ante, and at that point, you know, from there, people have been playing, paying billions of dollars to get the NFL on their air, billions and billions of dollars, and they're going to continue to pay billions and billions of dollars. The NFL is, is special right now. I mean, nobody is doing it like the National Football League. I don't see 20 – I mean, a lot can happen 20 years from now, but I, don't, I, I think the NFL still – will be a popular sport, and I still think it will be around. My only concern, as I said to Bernard Pollard, you keep taking it away, you keep taking it away, you keep taking away from grandmama's special cornbread, you take away the big-time ingredients and the special ingredients, some of the ingredients that made it special, you keep taking that away. I mean, the hard hits in football made it special. I mean, the NFL made millions of dollars, millions upon millions of dollars off of those videos, those, those, those greatest hits videos, those hard hits videos. NFL's made a lot of money off of that. A lot of money off of that. They they glorified that, and, and now to a lesser extent, they don't anymore. You remember Jacked Up on ESPN? It's not there anymore. It's not there anymore. Remember those hard-hit videos coming out? Not there anymore. The NFL is doing things to to try to to separate himself, separate itself from those particular things. They're trying to separate themselves for those particular things. But the reality is, you know, you, you keep taking ingredients away and eventually the sport will suffer. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Second hour go for starts right now. to be joined by Chicago Bears long snapper Patrick Manley, whose Bears face off against the Minnesota Vikings tomorrow in Chicago. Bears coming off a, a big-time performance against the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, a team that many, as I, as I said earlier in the show, many believe that the Cincinnati Bengals are a viable Super Bowl contender, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So, you know, we're, we're definitely going to talk to Patrick about his Bears. And, and you look at it, he's a long snapper, 16 years in the league. 
he stuck around this long as a long snapper, and you know, that's a credit to him uh, to be able to do it. The credit to anybody, no matter what position you play, to be able to stick around the NFL for for ten years, for for five years for that matter, average career is three years. To stick around the NFL that long, you're doing something right because this is a league that a it's it's hard to stay healthy, and b it's always looking to get cheaper and younger. So, for a guy to stick around sixteen years. It's a testament to, to him, definitely. But we're going to be joined by Patrick Manley of the Chicago Bears in this hour. Also, BoxingScene.com's Cliff Rold will be joining us. And, again, big fight tonight in uh, Las Vegas. I was about to say Atlantic City. Big fight uh, tonight in Las Vegas, MGM Grand, Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez. Big-time fight. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. As I said earlier in the show, the weigh-in, Almost 12,000-plus people there at the weigh-in to see guys take their shirt off and step on a scale and get weighed just to see that. So you know. It's not the time. that so I'm going to into a meaningless preseason game and playing uh, with backup offensive linemen, playing with guys who probably may not even play in this league at all in their lives, may not even play a real game in their lives. And Mark Sanchez is in the game with these guys, playing with these guys, and ultimately he gets hurt. At one point the Jets were saying it was day-to-day, day-to-day. But he... after this season. So it doesn't make any sense for you to rush back. And maybe your goal is to rush back or, or to get back and, and prove to other teams that you could still be a viable option 
as a starting quarterback. Maybe that could be his thought process. But I, I think it would be in his best interest to take this year, rehabilitate, get, get himself stronger, try to get himself better for another opportunity that could present itself next season. That's what I think. But we look at Mark Sanchez and, and you know where he's been and where he is now. I mean, the first two seasons, he was a, a darling in New York City. You know what I mean? He, he got to two consecutive AFC championship games. I mean, this is you know, a level of success that the Jets have not seen in a long time. Got him to two AFC championship games back-to-back. He was the darling of New York. Rex Ryan as well, one of the darlings in New York City. People loved old Rexy. You know, and then they were loving Rexy. But now at this point, you know, Mark Sanchez and, and Rex Ryan were essentially dead men walking walking into this 2013 season. You knew that this was going to be it for those guys. You knew that there was no way, unless a miracle happened, that miracle would be if the Jets made the playoffs. There was no way, other than the Jets making the playoffs and making a, uh, I would just say making the playoffs, you knew with the new general manager, John Idzik, coming in, you knew that you knew that these guys weren't going to come back. And it's, you know, maybe the Jets, who the past two weeks defensively have played well, give them their credit, played well defensively against the Buccaneers and played well defensively against the New England Patriots the other night. But you look at Geno Smith and you don't see ready at this point. I, I You know, I don't see a guy who's ready at this point. Granted, he got a victory against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Last week, you could argue he was helped. He was helped by a bad call near the end of that football game, where a personal foul call was called against the Buccaneers linebacker. Maybe you could argue. Maybe you could argue that. But the reality is, is this: this is the reality of the situation when it comes to Geno Smith and the New York Jets. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. But we shall see. There's a lot of football to be played. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you you, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on, now. Come on, now. That's all right. That's that Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- we have a guy now for the Chicago Bears, Patrick Manley, entering his 16th season in the National Football League. Man, oh, man, that's that's amazing. To play, like I said before, to play three years in this league is, is is an accomplishment. That's the average career. To play five is an accomplishment. To play ten in this league is an accomplishment. To play fifteen league, uh, sixteen years in this league, 
That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing no matter what position you play. 16 years is 16 years. And the Chicago Bears coming off a big victory against the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's bring him in now. Long. Got a connection issue. Must be a connection issue with Patrick. Man, Patrick. Yeah, I'm here now. How are you, sir? I'm very good. How are you doing this afternoon? Thanks for joining us. I think we lost you no for problem. a moment there, but we got you back. Technical difficulties, they happen. We got it all worked out. Definitely. Patrick, we look at you guys last week. Big victory against the Cincinnati Bengals. This is a team you talk about, the Bengals, that many believe could make a Super Bowl run. Talk about your team's performance against the Bengals. No, they are a great team. Um, that was a big win for us. I think the, anytime you have a new coach, and I heard Mark Trevin, there's a little bit of uncertainty of what's your season. Um, I thought we had a good preseason, and I thought the offense came along well. You know, he's an offensive-minded head coach. And, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in that first game against the Eagles team. And uh, we played our best the first three quarters. You know, you got to play that fourth quarter. We played great in that fourth quarter and showed that we had some talent, too, and uh, pulled out a victory. But anytime you're playing a home game, you know, you expect to win those and you hope to win those, and we were able to and you t- you talked about your guys' performance, and the guy who had a big-time performance for you guys was Charles Tillman, who picked up where he left off a year ago. He had two picks in this game. Talk about Tillman's performance. I thought he had a We don't get to see him off. Actually, I didn't realize he's as good as he is. And uh, the way Charles played against them was, was great. I mean, the two picks for us, our job, our, our team tries to create turnovers, and with Charles getting two of those, that helped us big in the game. And you look at you guys, and one of the, the knocks on the Chicago Bears over the years has been offensive line play, but last week against the Bengals, uh, which which has they, they have a very good front four, Michael Johnson, Geno Atkins, the name two, there was no sacks from the Cincinnati Bengals. How impressed were you with the offensive line play? Hello? But um, it's been great to see um, the two rookies on the right side, Kyle Law and Jordan Mills, have had a heck of a game. And to see those guys block like that in their first NFL game was awesome. Definitely, and you got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line. The much maligned offensive line over the years for the Chicago Bears, but again, they stepped up and had a big-time performance against the Cincinnati Bengals. No sacks for yeah. the Cincinnati Bengals. We're talking to long snapper for the Chicago Bears, Patrick Mandelinch. Uh Patrick, this is it was the first win for Mark Tressman in his first game as coach of the Chicago Bears. You spent nine years with Lovey Smith in Chicago. What are some of the differences between Tressman and Lovey Smith? You know what? The demeanors are pretty similar. They're not like screaming, yeah, and getting your face and that kind of stuff. Um, I think just the biggest thing is they're 
an offensive line head coach, and Lovey was a defensive line head coach. And I think that's just the biggest difference between this was, you know, I think as a head coach, you try to be unbiased to both sides of the ball, but I don't think you help, you know, when it comes from the roots from what you truly are. So that's the biggest difference I see is that he's on the offensive side of the field the whole practice where Lovey went between both, but was mostly, you know, everything with the defense. But for us as players, it's been kind of like not transitioning into uh, an old school football coach or anything like that. It's, it's kind of the culture sounds stay the same, which is uh, to me has made the transition a lot easier. Now, Patrick, you look at you guys now, and you look at you personally. Not many fans outside of, outside of Chicago know who you are, and that's a good thing as a long snapper because as a long snapper, you don't want people really to know who you are. Talk about life as a long snapper in the National Football League? Well, I think that's the key. I think if you ask all 32 long snappers in the league, the, the quote would be, the less you know of us, the better. Um, if we can do that, we're doing our job. I hate to interrupt you. There's actually, your, your phone is dropping. Shoot. You hear me now? Can we call you back on a different phone? Yeah, please. Yeah, I'll do that. All right? Okay, right back. Sure. All right. We're going to we're gonna get Patrick to come out of some of his questions. You couldn't necessarily hear him uh, throughout the course of the interview at times, so we're going to get him to call on a different line so we can go get it all squared away. He's got a lot of great things to say, so we can make sure we can hear some of the great things that he has to say. I mean, this is a guy, again, 16 years in the National Football League. 16 years. 16 I mean, two hundred and thirty plus games for Patrick Manley, and I think we're we're going to bring him back in now. Patrick, how are you doing? Is that better now, or is he still cracking? Oh, sounds sounds much better. Sounds much better. Sorry about that. No problem. And like I said, and we're, I'm going to ask the question again, and we're going to, you're going to give the answer again in sure. terms of long snapper. We look at long snappers, and, you know, you guys, you want to be anonymous. You don't want people to know who you are. Talk about life as a long snapper in the National Football League. Well, if you ask all 32 long snappers around the league, we would all say the less you know of us, the better. And if you, if you don't know us, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but I guess here in Chicago – I guess being on the roster for 16 times, people know me a little bit more, but that's I guess that's the only reason why. So I hope hopefully if there's no mistakes and you do your job right, nobody knows who the heck you are. You know, you, you give all the credit to the kickers and punters and all that kind of stuff, and don't worry about us. How does a long snapper stay sharp? How do you hone your craft? Talk about that. It's honestly, I give you, a, it's two things. One, it's it's like anybody, you're you're maybe born with the ability or have the natural ability to to throw a spiral like a quarterback or whatever, well, that's what we do. We bend over and throw a spiral between our legs. And uh, some kids that I work with, if, if they can do that, they can hone it. And by honing it more, you just really got to rep it out. It's like anything else, like a golfer getting on a, on a driving range and he needs to you know, work on his 100-yard wedge. It's the same kind of thing. You just got to do it over and over and over and over again and just make sure you got that same feel and touch every time you uh, snap the ball. Now, Patrick, you went to Duke, so obviously you are a smart guy. At what point did you decide, you know what, being a long snapper is my best opportunity to stay in the National Football League? About, I'd say, well, my junior year of college, we had a couple coaches uh, at Duke, that um, one that played and one that coached in the NFL, and the scouts were coming around. And 
recognized my ability, and, they, and the coaches told me that, hey, you might have a chance to go to the NFL to be a, a long snapper. Well, I continued to play at offensive line at Duke, and everybody has grand goals of bigger things, and I wanted to be an offensive line in the NFL. And Fortunately, I got drafted in the sixth round and uh, weighed, I don't know, 295 back in 1998 and was, hey, man, I want to be able to play line in the NFL, but I had the skill of long snapping. But I would say it took me about midway through my first training camp to realize that I wasn't good enough or, or strong enough right. or big enough to play line in the NFL. And I just, uh, you know, like, like you talked about, I was honed my craft more and figured out I could play a lot longer being a long snapper. We're talking to Bears long snapper Patrick Manley. And Patrick, this is your 16th year in the National Football League. You're 38 years old. Back in 1998, did you ever think in your wildest dreams you would get 16 years in the National Football League? There's no way. You know, your rookie year, you just want to make the team. And then you play your rookie year, and you're hopefully to make the team the next year. And then I think it's about your third or fourth year, you kind of realize, hey, I might be able to do this for a few more years. But I didn't realize it was going to turn into a 16-year career. It's amazing, amazing how anybody can play this game for that long. Uh, truly, truly amazing. And you guys now, you have the Minnesota Vikings coming to town. This is the Vikings team coming up a loss against the Detroit Lions. This is a team that, you know, they don't want to go 0-2 in their division, so they're going to come out and they really want this particular football game. What do you feel like you guys need to do to go 2-0? Stop Adrian Peterson. I think it's uh... – <laughs> When you're playing against a guy that great in the NFL, I mean, he's such a weapon. you got to stop that guy. And obviously they got a quarterback who took him to the playoffs last year and Ponder and picked up the receiver from Green Bay. And, you know, they have Jared Allen on the defense. They're a good football team. They were a playoff team last year. And like you said, it's a division game, and we've got we've to figure out a way to stop Adrian Peterson is the big thing. Definitely. And you guys have had a lot of success against the Vikings over the years. You've beaten the Vikings 11 out of the last 12 times at home in Chicago. What do you attribute to your success uh, against the Minnesota Vikings? You know what? I don't know what it is because we go up there and we we don't play so well up there. Um, That's a tough environment to play up there. Maybe it's a tough environment for them to come down to Soldier Field. But, you know, before when Lovey Smith was here for nine years, he he put it in our head that we don't lose at home. And that's going to carry on with all the older guys in our locker room with Coach Tressman here, and that's something we try to – Try to try to do. Try not to lose at home. And it's definitely a big game for you guys. You want to go two and zero, and you want to give the Minnesota Vikings another loss, especially another division loss. Yes. So it's definitely going to be a big football game tomorrow for you guys. And Patrick, you are the longest tenured Bear. You've been around for 16 years. You've seen a lot. 231, 200. Excuse me, 31 games with the Bears. All with the Bears. I mean, 231 games. That's a lot of football games. What is your greatest moment? As a Chicago Chicago Bear, what is your greatest Bear moment? I would say it's when we beat the Saints in the NFC Championship at home uh, in 2006, and we were beating them pretty good in the fourth quarter, I guess. And you kind of knew it was um, it was over, and then the snow started falling. And when the snow starts falling in Chicago, the fans start getting louder, and and that was probably the coolest moment. You know, that whole fourth quarter, and then at the end, getting the Hallis, the George Hallis Trophy. You know, who was the original Bears coach. Um, extended to Virginia McCaskey, who's our owner, who is George Hallis's daughter. Right. So that was that's a pretty cool moment. And so that's your greatest moment to this point. Oh yeah, as a Chicago yes, fan. to this point. Hopefully, there's one better. Losing the Super Bowl is not any fun. So I can't going to the Super Bowl is kind of cool, but losing it kind of messes that whole up. I, I can imagine. I truly, truly can imagine. And I look at you now, and you're the son-in-law, son-in-law, excuse me, of the great Tommy John. How is that? 
it's it's pretty cool. Uh, he's got a lot of great stories. You know, I was a big baseball fan growing up, basketball fan, just a sports fan. And uh, whenever he's in town, you know, he and I are both avid golfers, so we'll go golfing. But uh, to hear some of the stories, you know, the great Yankees and Dodgers stories from him is, is pretty fun. Now, does he give you any type of tips? You know, obviously you got to preserve the shoulders and the elbows when it comes to long snapping. Do you ask your father-in-law, Tommy John, any type of tips to preserve those elbows and those shoulders? No, I don't. Um, you know, it is amazing what he did with his elbow and what he did for the game of baseball. But, you know, we more just talk sports stories of, you know, inside the locker room stuff that we, you know, happened and that kind of stuff. So he, uh, and I, I think, you know, rehab has changed so much since the 70s and 80s now that I don't know how much he really can tell me. <laughs> you know what That's I mean? True. Very, <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Very, very true. Patrick, you have a website. Where can fans connect with you on that website? It's longsnapper.com. I put it out there basically for any uh, young aspiring long snappers out there. I just knew when I was younger I didn't have any information of how to long snap. So it's uh, it needs to be updated. It's not updated as often as I'd like to do it. But um, it's out there, the instruction on there, how to long snap, and that's basically what it's for. So if there's any people listening that you know want to teach their kids or kids are listening, go on there and you can figure out the uh, the fundamentals of long snapping. I need to go on there. I definitely need to go on there. I need to teach my kid how to be a long snapper and stay in the NFL for 16 years. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, it's truly amazing to stay in the NFL for 16 years. How long do you think you can keep doing this? You're 38 years old now. How long can you do this? No, my joke now is, you know, like you said, I am 38 and I'm older. So I just say I, I take it snap by snap right now, you know. As long as I just, I'll keep going until they keep me, keep me around. Sounds like a plan. Patrick. Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck against the Vikings tomorrow. Let's do this again. All right. Thanks very much. Good good talking to you. Take care. All right. We'll see you. Patrick Manley, long snapper for the Chicago Bears. And, you know, I, I keep talking about 16 games, 16 games, 16 games. But 16 games is a is 16 games. I mean, 16 years, I should say. 16 years is 16 years. 16 games. Playing 16 games in the NFL special is hard enough to do. But 16 years, 16 years in the NFL, that's hard to do, no matter what position, no matter who you are. 16 years. I want to keep saying games, but 16 years. Tough, tough, tough to do. And a credit to Patrick Manley for being able to play 16 years in the National Football League. Give him a lot of credit. I want to go back to Mark Sanchez for a moment in the New York Jets and how you look at Sanchez, started from the top, now he's kind of, I don't want to say he's down at the bottom, but he's not as regarded as he once was many moons ago. And, you know, this is a guy who statistically never put up big-time numbers, never really did, even when he was getting the Jets to the AFC title game. That was a byproduct of that Jets defense and that running game. That was ground and pound. And that's how the Jets had the success that they had with Mark Sanchez. I just, you know, and obviously I think he got a raw deal how this thing ended and how this thing is going to end with the uh, New York Jets. But, I, I mean, it could also be a blessing in disguise for him. I mean, this is an opportunity for him now. To me, I don't think you rush back this year. I don't think you play at all this year. I think you get your shoulder completely right. You get your shoulder completely right, completely healthy, and you get yourself right, and you sit out, 
and you make a run at a football team next season, whether it's a starting job and whether it's a backup role. And I'm sure he wants to be a starter in the National Football League. So he's got to do what what he's got to do in a lot of ways to get himself prepared and ready for that next opportunity. And that next opportunity could be somewhere. It's not going to be with the Jets. Definitely not going to be with the Jets, but it's going to be somewhere. And I look at Mark Sanchez and how it ended for him, and I feel bad for him. I, I really do feel bad for him. It's going to end not so well for Rex Ryan as well. It, it, it It's done. He's done after this season. I don't see how he can continue as a Jets coach. New general manager, John Ensick, you know he's going to try to pick his own guy. You know he wants his own guy. And, and so, and obviously the Jets, they're probably going to struggle this season. Geno Smith, I'm not seeing it as of yet, but he's still young, still has time to get himself right. But again, I'm not seeing it just yet in terms of him being a, a viable starter in the National Football League. But in fairness to him, it's only been two football games. So only two football games. So he has an opportunity to get it right. But the Jets defensively, I mean, if they can get solid quarterback play, I mean, if you watch the game against the New England Patriots, the New England Patriots are really struggling mightily with out Aaron Hernandez, without Gronkowski. And obviously they lost Danny Amendola. So they're going to be struggling. They're struggling offensively. You thought Tom Brady could overcome a lot of things, but he's struggling. A lot of struggles with the Patriots right now. It's a struggling situation. They're having a hard time. They had a hard time against the New York Jets, scoring the, trying to score and get up and down the field. I mean, you had, what, Julian Edelman, 13 catches for about, what, 70 yards, I believe it was. I mean, you know, hey, 14 catches is 14 catches, but, I mean, that, that yardage, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. I mean, you guys catch that many balls, you catch 14 balls, you know, you start 13 balls, excuse me, for 78 yards. That's only six yards a catch. His longest was 10 yards in that game. So, <laughs> yes, the, the, the reception numbers are great, but the yardage associated with those receptions, not so great. So, New England's struggling right now, offensively. There is a struggle. You know, Tom Brady was only 19 for 39. 19 for 39. That's un-Brady-like. Finished with a QB, uh, QB uh, can't even talk. Finished with a quarterback rating of 71. 71. Not good. Conversely, Geno Smith, three big interceptions, especially that one interception where they were driving down already in field goal range. And if, you know, if they don't get that pick, they could have tied the football game. Who knows what could have happened from there. But the Patriots are struggling. The Jets are struggling. And the Jets, I see the Patriots at some point getting them right, especially if they can get Gronkowski back, ultimately get um, Amendola back as well. I can see them changing the fortunes of that team. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you, you look at it. Obviously, tough situation for the Patriots right now. Tough sledding for the Jets as well. Three picks for Geno Smith. 
That's not good. That's not good at all. You can't win with those with that many interceptions. You can't. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't. But again, a lot of football to be played. And speaking of a lot of football to be played, you got San Francisco and Seattle this week. Woo! That's going to be great. That's going to be a big-time football game. Last time San Francisco went to Seattle last year, they got smacked. They got smacked. The Seahawks put a number, a number on the San Francisco 49ers last year. And Seattle, I mean, they struggled last week against Carolina, won 12-7. But ultimately, Seattle's a totally different football team at home. It's like night and day for this football team on the road and at home. Totally a different football team. They're uh, just different and better, better at home. They're tough to beat in Seattle. I mean, you look at it last week, last year, a 42 to 13 route by the Seahawks against the 49ers last season blew them out, blew them out week 16. Kaepernick looked average. Everybody looked average in that particular ball game. They looked average in that game. And so you you look at this football game, you look at the way the Seahawks play at home, and you have to say on some level, advantage Seattle. You have to say on some level, advantage Seattle because of the way they play at home. They're a totally different football team at home. They just are. They just are. They're tough to beat at home. 8-0 at home last season. 8-0 at home last season for Seattle. So you know, you know you're going to have a tough time beating the Seahawks in Seattle. So you have to say, on the surface, advantage Seattle. You have to say advantage Seattle on the surface. But we'll see. San Francisco, big-time performance by Colin Kaepernick against the Packers, 412 yards, and Anquan Bolden out the shoot, paying dividends. Out the shoot. I mean, Anquan Bolden, 200, over 200 receiving yards in that particular game last week against the Green Bay Packers, over 200 yards. Kaepernick, 412 yards. Special performance by those two guys. And Anquan Bolden pick it up where he left off. Huge in the playoffs. Huge in the Super Bowl. 13 catches, 208 yards. And you compare that to Julian Edelman. 13 catches, 78 yards. You get 13 catches, you need to at least be over 100 yards. Come on. You get 13 catches, need to be over 100 yards. Anquan Bolden, 13 catches, 208 yards. 208 yards, including a touchdown. Picked up where he left off. <clears throat> Picking up where he left off. I bet you the Ravens would love to have Anquan Bolden right now. I bet you the Ravens would love to have Anquan Bolden. 
he was big in the playoffs. Just as Joe Flacco was good, but Anquan Bolden was just as good. Some say even better, as Joe Flacco was good. I mean, both of those guys were big reasons why the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. We're going to switch gears now. We're going to go back to the great sport of boxing, and we're going to go to the big fight tonight in Atlantic City. Uh, not Atlantic City. I wanted, I kept. I keep wanting to say Atlantic City. In Las Vegas, Canelo Alvarez, Floyd, Money, Mayweather, the one. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. And let's bring in a guy to talk about it. BoxingScene.com writer, Cliff Rold. Cliff, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you doing this fine Saturday? Oh, I'm great. Can't wait till tonight. Can't wait till tonight. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Hey, it's going to be, uh, this could be a lot of fun tonight. Definitely. Let's start with yesterday at the weigh-in. Over 12,000 people to see a weigh-in, which included a ring walk. Have you ever seen anything like that? No, and, I mean, you have to give credit to Golden Boy Promotions, to Mayweather and his team for adding to the spectacle element of the sport. Uh, I think in recent years we've seen a lot of really good showmanship in other parts of the world for boxing that sometimes was missing here in the United States. We've seen that evolve over the last couple of years, and I think it, it hit a whole other stride, uh, a, a whole other stride yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Definitely, it was it was a great time there. I almost wish I was there to see it, but that was amazing. So Watching on TV, it was amazing. You you look at it, and and a lot of people, from what I'm reading, they're saying that Canelo Alvarez he he looked a little dry, looked a little drawn at the weigh-in. He made the catch weight obviously at 152. Your thoughts on what you saw? I thought he looked like Canelo Alvarez. I mean, he, he looked like he's a little bit drawn. But, you know, he, he a lot of guys look drawn at weigh-ins. He didn't look like he was having trouble standing up. Um, you know, he he, he he just looked like a guy who had to lose an extra pound. I'm sure it was tough. Um, but, you know, we live in a day and age in the sport where you have something like 30 hours or more to rehydrate. Uh, he should be fine in his rehydration period. And let's keep in mind, he's 23 years old. As tough as it might be on the body, you have to assume it would probably be tougher on an older man. He's a 23-year-old guy. He hasn't had a lot of punishment on his body, and this is the biggest moment of his life. Uh, considering the type of shape boxers get themselves into, I'm sure he can recover, and he didn't look terrible as it was. It wasn't like, you know, the, the expressions you saw on the face of Jose Luis Castillo when he failed to make way for the ultimately aborted third Diego Corrales fight. You, you didn't see a guy who looked like, you know, Skeletor up there. He just looked like a guy who had to lose an extra pound he still looked healthy. He looked ready to go. And tonight he's probably going to come in close to 170, if not over 170. How much of a how much will the weight difference matter in this fight? You, we won't know until we see the fight. Um, okay. I think one of the things that stood out is throughout the early press conferences and other public appearances they had together, it appeared that Canelo was a little taller than Mayweather. Yesterday, and I couldn't see their feet, but it appeared that, you know, both guys further away in, you know, they're out of their shoes. Mayweather suddenly looked taller when you put the two of them next to, to each other in a weigh-in capacity. So, you know, we may be looking at a situation where one guy's got a little more bulk, the other one's got a little more height. We know he's got, we know Mayweather has more reach. Um, so it's, it's a matter of whether or not Canelo can, can get close to Mayweather and make it count. And that's going to be harder than uh, than anything he's done in his professional career so far. 
And one thing you notice about Canelo Alvarez in his fights, at times he tends to fight in spurts. Having to squeeze down those, those extra two pounds, do you think that affects his activity tonight? Probably not. Uh, if anything, you run the risk of maybe him being a little too active too early, uh, just going for it. I mean, Mayweather's probably most vulnerable early in the fight. If that's the case and, and Alvarez can rock him a little bit, does he unload too much of the tank early, gas himself out, have to wait it out? You know, does he put himself in a position where, you know, Mayweather is able to relax and, and get some rounds into him? I mean, you never know until you, you see how a fight plays out. And uh, it, it, I, it's just it's really hard to say. Um, I would imagine that, that Alvarez will be able to fight the typical Alvarez fights we've gotten used to over the last couple of years. He'll be looking for accurate, sharp power punches. He'll be looking for opportunities to take one big punch and turn it into a combination, something he's very good at. And he'll be looking to make the body punches he can land count for a lot. We're talking to BoxingScene.com writer Cliff Rold. And, Cliff, many have tried and many have failed to solve the Mayweather puzzle. What do you think Canelo Alvarez needs to do to solve that Mayweather puzzle? Hey, he needs to land big punches. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, you, we can get into all the technical mumbo-jumbo we want, but at the end of the day, the way to beat another fighter is to land more punches than they do, to land harder punches than they do. He has to find a way through Mayweather's defense. He has to find opportunities to land, and when he does, he has to make them count. He has to find a, a chance to slow Mayweather down, to make him think, to drop his output. You know, he has to he has to make his offense work. He's not going to beat Floyd Mayweather in a fight that is based on spurts and who is the better defensive technical fighter. He will lose that battle. He has to land punches. Now, how does and he do that? Go ahead. Yeah, you know, that's he, he, the biggest key is going to be establishing his jab. If he can get his jab established, he can blind things. He can get his body shots in. Um, he has to be willing to hit what he can find, too. There's nothing wrong with banging a shoulder. Definitely, definitely you're going to have to do it when it comes to Floyd Mayweather. What's what's the Mayweather game plan tonight? I mean, obviously, Floyd, he seems to adjust better than anybody else in that ring. What do you, how do you see Floyd's approach tonight? Well, I think Floyd has the opportunity to, to hurt Alvarez, uh, and, and, and I don't think a lot of people have taken that into consideration. I mean, the one time we've seen Alvarez really hurt in recent years was in the Jose Cotto fight. Um, he got hit with a blind shot he didn't see, wobbled him. Floyd's got the kind of speed and explosiveness that he can do that. He's not a huge puncher, but he's an accurate puncher. He can be a sudden puncher. If he can hurt Alvarez, put him back on his heels, create distance in the fight, all of a sudden he creates the geography of the fight. He makes Alvarez have to cross that line to come to him. Ultimately, both guys like to counterpunch. And in a battle between counterpunchers, typically the man who makes his opponent lead wins. And Floyd Mayweather is an expert at making his opponent lead. And if he has Canelo coming to him all night and dictating the geography of the of the ring, the pace of the fight, then he should be able to outbox Canelo Alvarez over 12 rounds. Alvarez has never seen anything like Floyd Mayweather. Let's go to the undercard for a moment. Battle for supremacy in the junior welterweight division. Danny Garcia, Lucas Matisse, which could be a main event on any other card in boxing. How do you well, see this it, it one is playing? It is a main event any other night of the year. Yeah, I mean, bar none, it is a main event any other night of the year. How do you see it playing and out? I think, I think a lot of people are thinking it could be a great fight. I think the possibility is there. I think there's also a distinct possibility that we're watching a coordination. Uh, Lucas Matisse, if you look at from when he sort of exploded into the U.S. consciousness in the in his fight with Zab Judah to now, he has continued to improve. He is underrated technically. He's a very smart fighter and he has bricks in his gloves. Uh, so far, he can take a pretty good shot. 
Andy Garcia is a good puncher, but he's not a great puncher. I mean, it's a, it's a good left hook, but you know, the, him being advertised as sort of this massive puncher is a little overstated. When you look at some of the guys he's fought, he wasn't blowing out Kendall Holt and Nate Campbell and some of these guys. And not that that's easy; those were veteran guys. But you know, it, it hasn't exactly been easy. The Eric Morales he knocked out was you know like a corpse. Um, you know, yeah. Zab Judah he, he he hurt Zab Judah early, but he was the one holding on late. So. I think Danny Garcia is a very good fighter. He's very technically sound. But I think it would not surprise me if this fight goes a lot like Matisse's fight with Lamont Peterson plus a couple of extra rounds. I think this could go six, seven, eight rounds. Wow. But ultimately, you have the same sort of result where Matisse's bombs tell the story. So you feel like Matisse is definitely going to stop Garcia tonight? I mean, I, I, Matisse, I, I, strongly, I strongly favor Matisse to win. A lot of people do. I could be wrong. Danny Garcia has surprised people before. He's a good fighter. Right. I just think that Matisse is, is where we're going. Um, and, and I ultimately think that the direction boxing is headed is if Mayweather wins tonight, and it's decisive. If it's, a, if it's in such a fashion that there's no need for an Alvarez rematch, that next year's big fight then becomes Mayweather-Matisse. And that would be a great one. That would be a great one. Yeah, I, I kind of hope it happens. I definitely hope it happens. Another title fight on this card, IBF junior middleweight champion Ishe Smith defends the title against Carlos Molina. How do you see this one playing out? Well, I think this is the – some people seem to think there could be a controversy in the main event tonight, that maybe we look at a draw or Alvarez feeling a decision by keeping rounds close. I think the the highest likelihood for a, a questionable decision on the card is in this fight right here. Carlos Molina just has bad luck, um, you know, among other things. He, he has been very unfortunate. He's had some horrific decisions go against him. He got terribly gypped in his disqualification loss to James Kirkland when he was running Kirkland all night long. Um, and I, I think in this case, you know, this is one of those fights where some of the predictions you read sort of predict that Ishe Smith will be the more skilled fighter. I don't see that at all. I think Carlos Molina is the far more skilled fighter of the two. He has learned and honed his craft over the years. He's very good at lots of subtle things. Um, he's the sort of fighter who, who, who knows how to land in the spots that are given to him. He's consistent. He makes you work all three minutes of every round. And if you look at Ishe Smith over the years, he's actually, you know, fairly orthodox. Um, his his attack is fairly predictable. He's been outboxed by fighters who I don't think are, are necessarily as technically consistent as uh, who are not necessarily as technically as consistent as Molina. Um, I think Molina should be able to win this fight, but because he's not a big puncher and, you know, it, strange things happen in Molina fights. There could be a controversy here. Everything on the up and up, I think Molina wins a pretty clean decision. And the one thing about Ishe Smith I've noticed over the years is sometimes he gets that sparring partner mentality. In fights, yeah. you see that from him. He stops, so, throwing, he stops throwing punches. He has a career-long penchant yeah. of not throwing enough punches against a guy who is always throwing punches. That's a bad recipe. And Molina's accurate, too. I mean, Molina's just a very good fighter. He could easily be a fighter with maybe only one or two losses on his record. Those were early when he was learning his craft. Um, I haven't seen anyone beat him in five or six years. Clean. Definitely. You talked about the James Kirkland uh, fight where he got absolutely robbed in that particular fight, so you're right. And a lot of other fights that he got robbed in. But this yeah. is a guy, like you said, has not really lost clean in a very long time. There's been a lot of talk that this pay-per-view could actually break the pay-per-view record set back in 2007 of $2.4 million Oscar De La Hoya, Floyd Mayweather in that particular fight. Does this pay-per-view break that record? I think it's possible. Um, it's certainly a better show. Um, top to bottom, when you look at what you're getting for the dollar you're spending, it's a better show than the Mayweather-De La Hoya fight. 
Uh, I think the main event is, is a little more interesting than the May- Mayweather De La Hoya main event was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was more that was more of a spectacle. I think this one, at least on paper, looks like a more competitive fight. Um, but again, that's on paper. Um, I think it has a good shot to break the record. Um, I, I think this is the, the kind of fight where people want to see it live. Um, I'm getting phone calls from people I know asking, hey, you know, where do I order the pay-per-view, not should I order the pay-per-view. Uh, I think that's always <laughs> a good sign. You know, I was on the phone with my dad this morning explaining to him how to order the pay-per-view on his cable box. It was a lot of fun. So, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is what people are ready to do. And I, I think 2.5 is in reach. If it doesn't get there and you only get $2 million, well, that's still the second biggest pay-per-view of all time. So, right. you know, they're, they're doing some big numbers. And I think the revenue record will be broken regardless because this pay-per-view is more expensive than the De La Hoya pay-per-view was. So are you getting the HD or the SD? Uh, HD. Why in the hell would anyone ever buy SD? What's the point of having a plasma TV if you're not going to watch all the good stuff in HD? <laughs> you could do a lot with $10. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, so, Cliff, but that's, that's we ten dollars. Well, that's ten dollars well spent. Okay, okay. Not to, not to mention that. for folks out there, not to mention for folks out there who don't know it. Um, you know, after the show is over, if you if if the fight's great and you want to see what the fighters have to say, CBS Sports Network will have the post-fight press conference um, at one thirty in the morning Eastern Standard Time. So you know, you can make this all night affair. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and they did it last time for the Guerrero fight as well. So yeah, it, like fun. you said. It's, it's a great opportunity to be up all night watching boxing, and it's a great Absolutely. thing to do. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, it's not very often that you get clashes of undefeated fighters for world titles. It hasn't even happened very many times in the junior middleweight division. You know, if fans want to get excited, one of the things I wrote about in, in the preview piece today, you know, go to YouTube today, get yourself psyched up, watch some of the great junior middleweight fights between undefeated fighters. Go watch Felix Trinidad fight Fernando Vargas and David Reed. Go watch. Mike McCallum fight Julian Jackson on YouTube today. Get yourself fired up. This is Boxing Day. Alabama, Texas A&M is big. It can't steal the spotlight from this fight. This is that good. No. no. And who says boxing is dead? A bunch <laughs> of morons who don't know what the hell they're talking about? Basically. Basically. Big fights. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. You know, two, a couple years ago, David Hay and Vladimir Klitschko had something like over 100 million people worldwide watching that boring fight. This fight tonight is going to do, you know, two million some viewers. It's been on the news all week. Matisse Garcia is on the undercard. For people who say boxing is dead, tell me who who of these people that are saying it was dead were talking about Saul Alvarez just 18 months ago. I mean, where the hell did he come from that he could be in a show this big? Somebody's watching this. It's not anybody's fault that the mainstream press decided that they didn't want to cover boxing anymore, and so they put their head in the sand and then have the audacity to say, well, we don't know who the fighters are. Well, you're reporters. Go watch. Yeah, do your homework. It's crazy. <laughs> Big fight set, obviously. The one. Someone's O has to go tonight. Who wins? Mayweather. Mayweather. Typical Mayweather I mean, I'm not, I'm not picking against Mayweather until Mayweather loses. Um, I have picked against Mayweather in the past. Uh, worst of all, I, I picked him to lose to Carlos Baldemir. It's it's the, the pick I always remind myself of that no matter how many fights I pick right, I pick that one. It's like the stupidest thing ever. So... <laughs> You know, I, I won't ever make that mistake again. Until somebody shows they can beat Floyd Mayweather, there's no reason to pick against Floyd Mayweather. Is typical Mayweather fashion? Are we going to know by time the, the by time the last by time the bell rings in the last round? Are we going to know that Mayweather won the fight? I think so, but I mean, we'll see. Let 
the the first four rounds I think tell the story of the fight. If Alvarez can have some big success early, and I mean really rock Floyd, given his size and given his ability to follow up on hurting opponents and 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 add extra combinations, if he can do something like what Shane Mosley did in his fight with Floyd Mayweather, Alvarez has the ability to lay some hurt down when he's got a guy wobbled. And if you can hurt him, I mean, really get him good early in the fight and slow Floyd Mayweather down, force him into a fight like Miguel Cotto could, we could have a real classic on our hands. If he doesn't, You're right, he's I mean, going to be chasing it. If he doesn't, where he's going to be chasing, uh, he's going to be chasing Mayweather late, and you ain't going to win that. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, and to your point, Zab Judah rocked him in the first round, and Shane Mosley rocked him in the second round. So, if you can get him early, yeah, Demarcus Corley, have a shot. Demarcus Corley rocked him twice. I mean, but that's it. Forty-four fights. Those are the three times people can remember him. You know, those are the three opponents who have really hurt him. And one thing about Floyd Mayweather that he doesn't get enough credit for, in every fight where he's been rocked or hurt, he came back and beat the holy hell out of all three of those guys. When he gets hurt, Floyd Mayweather opens up like a tiger. He's got a fighter's heart, and he's got a nasty, mean chip on his shoulder in the ring, and he never gets enough credit for that. And Alvarez, if he draws a fight out of Floyd Mayweather, we really could get something special because Mayweather takes that over very serious. I want to ask you this about Mayweather. If it wasn't... For the the money persona, would we really care as much as we do about Floyd Mayweather? Would he be rigging down pretty much? No, I mean probably not. But I mean, I think that's almost a, a that's kind of a, an odd question. To me, I'll tell you why, Paul. If if Muhammad Ali wasn't the Louisville Lip, you know, if if you know when before he changed his name, if he wasn't out there cutting albums and, and telling poems, you know at a time when the game was hurting, when boxing was recovering from the IBC mm-hmm. scandal, when boxing was recovering from the death of Benny Perret, if Ali isn't out there talking, you know, does boxing, does boxing draw 70 and 80 million viewers for his heavyweight title fights in the 70s? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but when you're talking about Floyd Mayweather, you're not just talking about the performance in the ring. It's the overall persona. Here's another right. way you can phrase that question. If Bob Arum and Top Rank had, let Floyd May- had, had pushed Floyd Mayweather to be money earlier in his career, how much more money could he have made? Fair point. That's a fair point. You know, I mean, you're talking about a guy who you're talking about a guy who years earlier wanted to take a different direction with his career and was consistently being told not to, who was portrayed in the press as an ingrate and who who understood better how he should be marketed than the people who were marketing him. If he had been allowed to be himself much earlier, then I mean, it's the first time really since the 1980s that the best fighter in the sport is also the most popular fighter in the sport in terms of market value. So, you know, we might have had Mayweather a lot earlier. That would have been great. That would have have been been, – I love the money persona. I love the persona. I mean, it's great for boxing. Love it or hate it, it sells. Love it or hate it, it sells. And and it sells at at, at massive volume. So, now enjoy it while it lasts because it won't last forever. And that's the beauty of it. A lot of people love it and a lot of people hate it. And that's what makes it so popular. Hey, you know, Hulk Hogan didn't sell tickets by himself. Roddy Piper and Ric Flair had to help. You know, you, you got to have somebody you love to hate. We're talking to BoxingScene.com writer Cliff Rowe. Cliff, tell us some of the great things going on at BoxingScene.com. Oh, lots of fight preview stuff going on today. Um, some fantastic coverage from our crew out in Vegas, uh, led by editor, editor-in-chief editor Rick Reno. Um, he's been holding it down this week. Um, and, you know, lots more fights to come. we got a glorious fall session coming up. You know, the, the boxing can compete with any sport for the next few months. It can be fantastic. Big cards all around the world. I'm looking forward to it, definitely. And I'm looking forward 
to tonight. Cliff, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Absolutely, Paul. Anytime, buddy. Take care. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Cliff Rold, BoxingScene.com. Great, great fight tonight. I mean, just talking to him, it's got me on 10. I mean, I've been at 9, close to 10 already, but I think I'm over 10 at this point. I mean, this fight is going to be truly, 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 truly a special fight. Truly a special fight. And whether Mayweather wins, whether Alvarez wins, and if Alvarez wins, it's going to be pretty big. But the reality is, the reality is, you're watching this fight. I mean, Cliff made some great points. Mayweather is the best fighter. He's the best fighter, and he's the most popular fighter. You don't see that a lot of times in boxing. Oscar De La Hoya, for a long time, was the most popular fighter, but he wasn't the best fighter. Floyd Mayweather is the best fighter and the most popular fighter. That goes hand-to-hand, and that is great for the sport of boxing. I want to go real quickly the Manning Bowl this weekend, Giants, Broncos, MetLife Stadium, big-time football game. I look at it, and one of the questions I want to throw out there was, whose career would you rather have? Would you rather have Peyton Manning's career, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of, of all time, or at least of this generation, or would you rather have Eli Manning's career, two Super Bowl titles, clutch in the playoffs, big-time clutch, big-time, big-time player performer. Who would you rather be? Who would you rather be? And I started the week thinking I would rather be Eli because, A, I'm pretty good. B, I'm clutching the playoffs. I, I, I go through hostile environments to get to the Super Bowl. I went through Green Bay, and I got to a Super Bowl. I went through San Francisco, and I got to a Super Bowl. I did it the hard way. I did it the hard way. And then, not only do I do that, I go to the Super Bowl. I'm not favored in these games. I go to the Super Bowl, and I win, both of them, in clutch fashion. I beat the undefeated New England Patriots with Tom Brady. In the last second, I give it to Plaxico, Plaxico Burris. He scores a touchdown. I beat... The New England Patriots again, and Tom Brady. And this time I make a big-time throw to Mario Manningham. I did what I have to do in the playoffs. I'm clutch. I'm big time. Or would you rather be Peyton Manning? Not a very good playoff quarterback. A guy record-wise who just is not the same in the playoffs. He's just not the same quarterback. He's not. Peyton Manning is not the same quarterback in the playoffs. He's just not. The record shows it. He's not. In the postseason, he's a different quarterback. He's a different quarterback in the postseason. He has been over the years. I mean, you look at last year's game where he threw across his body and was picked off by the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, he threw across the body. You don't throw across the body. That's a cardinal sin. That's a cardinal sin. He threw across his body. You don't do that. But anyway, when it's all said and done, and i got to rush through this because we're running out of time, when it's all said and done, 
I think I'd rather be Peyton Manning because I'm considered as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Plus, I do have one Super Bowl ring, and plus I have an opportunity to get more. But we shall see tomorrow. I mean, could you imagine the, the, if you're the mama of Peyton and Eli Manning and two, you, you got two possibly pro, not only Pro Bowl quarterbacks, but possibly two Hall of Famers coming out your womb. I mean, you're, you got possibly two Hall of Famers coming out of your womb. Is, is, is that something amazing and special? That's amazing. That's amazing. Statistically, it's amazing how that's possible. I want to thank Cliff Rolls from BoxingScene.com for stopping by. I want to thank Patrick Manley for stopping by. Also, Bernard Pollard for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant. Everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great day, a great night, a lot of great nights, great things to see. Tonight, Mayweather, Alvarez, Texas A&M, Alabama, Seattle, San Francisco, the Manning Bowl, a lot of great things to watch this weekend in sports. I hope you watch it all. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you come on back and we talk about it next week. See you later. Take care. Bye.